Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our friends at MyBookie, where you can bet on anything, anytime, anywhere. And all new users who create new accounts can use the promo code UGA today and through the entire month of September to get a 100% deposit bonus on your first deposit. Charlie, does it get any better than that when it comes to promos? It does not. Doubling your money. Double it. Have you taken advantage of this, Charlie? But you have to use the code UGA. UGA, guys. UGA. Do yourself a favor. But I'm Tyler. You guys know that. And Charlie is here with me today for our very first listener mailbag episode of the 2022 season. And Charlie, um, is it fair to say you put these things together? Is it fair to say we have a lot of questions to try to get to today? Yes, 18. 18 questions. Is that all of them that were sent in? I think there were a couple that were like like doubled up, but we got a lot of questions. We, I tried to condense them. Yeah, you have done a great job. But 18 is still a lot, and we want to try to get to as many as we possibly can. And in order to do that, I'm going to try to be, uh, how should we say this, more economical with my words today. Charlie, how did you phrase it when you publicly shamed me on an episode over the summer? Economy of language. Economy of language. There we go. That was close. Economy of language. You think I can do it? No. It's not in me, but I'm going to do my best. I, I know I'm long-winded sometimes, but I like to go into the depth. But I'm going to try today to get to as many of these as we can. I know you guys uh, are listening, and we want to make sure to show each and every one of you the love that you deserve if you send in some questions. So I'm going to try. I'm going to give it my shot here today, but uh, I don't know, Charlie. Help me out here. You're going to have to help me. But before we get to all the questions, Charlie, I've got to ask you, how good was it to have college football back in your life. I know we had it a little bit last week, but not for real. Like, this was for real. How good was it? Lots of drama already. It was an incredible week one. Inc- was this the best week one that you can remember? Well, I don't remember oh my God. anything ever, so. Yeah, I mean, that's actually it was true. A really that, that great was, you're weekend. the wrong person to ask that. I, I can't remember. I mean, we had the North Carolina App State game, which I don't know if you were watching. I, I can't remember where I heard this. It was somewhere on ESPN. I remember it was at halftime of the game or whatever. They were doing the, the replay of, I guess, the, the highlights of the game. I think it was Matt Berry said, like, this game was drunk. And I was like, that's actually the perfect way to describe that game. So yeah, that game at NC State, some way, somehow sneaking out the win against ECU and, and keeping our parlay of destiny alive. 
And we actually won that one. We'll talk about that on the on the pick show later this week. But uh, both those games, I had to sweat out. But they both poured it out. Uh, the Florida State LSU game. You watched that last night? Fell asleep before it was over. How much did you get to? Um, I think I fell asleep at like the beginning of the fourth quarter. So it hadn't really gotten wild then. No. It was actually, I don't want to say it was boring I, to that like point. Like FSU but it, was up. It got wild the last like two minutes. Right, I was definitely asleep. Yeah, you, you're you're. I woke up early and saw sleeper. this morning. Yeah, that was crazy. It was a crazy game. Our game, great game. I mean, down to the wire. Definitely, 46 points. But you know what, Charlie? Um, I don't want us to play good games. I want us to destroy teams because that takes the stress out of it for me. Right? Are, are you with me on that? Yeah, I like, guess. I mean, when it's all said and done, if you win those close games, that experience, that rush of adrenaline, that is an awesome feeling. But you don't always win those close games. It's also really nice just to be, be able to kind of sit in the stands and just like take a breath early, and like okay, we got this one, and just like have fun. And that's also kind of cool too. It's a different kind of feeling, but it's also cool. But yes, it was a great week one. Uh, I had a lot of fun. I watched a lot of football. I still have a couple of games left to watch. But Charlie, I also have to bring this up because you have a very well documented disdain for the city of Atlanta. But I gotta give you credit. You sucked it up. You made the trip to the bins for the game. Please tell me you found some way to enjoy yourself on Saturday. It wasn't real hot, so that was nice to walk to the stadium. That is the it one thing about playing bad. indoors is yeah. you don't have to sit outside. And... It wasn't bad. Um, Dragon Con. It's nice to... That's always interesting. Yeah, it, good times. It was nice to watch a game there, as always, because it's smaller, so you can't really... I like Mercedes There's Benz. not really a bad seat, I guess. So is it fair Considering to say... mine was in the second to last row of the section. You were that high? Yeah, but it wasn't like that. But there's not like a terrible seat in Mercedes-Benz. It wasn't Benz. the highest section, but the seats were still fine. So. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I wasn't that far away. It I was, was okay. a couple seats, a couple rows in front of that. But I almost died on 316 coming back. Oh, really? What happened? It was pouring down rain and I hydroplaned. Oh, it was raining. And almost crashed in the median, but I did not. Good for you, Charlie. It was terrifying. You, you, you hydroplane coming back? Don't you drive like 12 miles an hour? Yeah, you can still hydroplane can you while go going on, slow. I thought there was like a threshold, like a speed threshold well, I mean, to hydroplane. it was 316. So you're going, what, about 35? Sure. Okay, something like that. Sure. But you had, a, you had a good time on Saturday? Yeah, okay. You braved the city of Atlanta. You came out. You're good. You're safe. Yeah. You don't have to go back until December, hopefully. Knock on wood, but yeah. maybe. Hopefully. hopefully. Probably. But all right, Charlie, I know we got a ton of questions. I'm going to try to be economical, economy of language, as you say, with my words here. But um, where are we starting? Is it economical if you keep repeating yourself? I swear to God, Charlie. Okay. I swear to God. Well, we're going to start with... I'm doing my best here. Ben's question. So since 2017, there have been a lot of dominant wins in the Kirby Smart era. Yes, there have been. But Ben would like to know if it's an overreaction to call this past weekend the most dominant win in the Kirby Smart era. You know, I don't want to be a prisoner in the moment. I know it's really hard not to, especially week one. You know, we always say we don't want to overreact, but yet we always overreact. It's one of those things you say, well, you know, I don't mean to overreact, but let me overreact. And I'm guilty of that. I was guilty of that on the recap episode, and I'm trying to pull myself back to earth a little bit here. I've had a chance to go back and watch the game again. So I saw some things that we obviously saw a lot of good things. I don't want to make it out that we didn't that we didn't play well. We played extraordinarily well, but there are some things that we certainly need to clean up on and improve on and get better on if get better at if we want to actually go back to back this year. But this was a dominant win, Charlie. Any way you slice it. I'm trying to think of some of the more dominant wins in the Kirby Smart era. Hmm, Arkansas. Arkansas. At home. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was a do- last year. That was a dominant win. Like we just took it to him like from the get go. That's another game we kind of probably could have scored a lot more points, but he did not want to do that to old Sammy boy. 
your boy who you turned your back on. Was he the coach where he played Mississippi State at home? Or was that Mark Richt? Flea oh, flicker. oh, Flea Flicker to Terry Godwin? Yeah, no, that was Kirby. Yeah. That, was, that, was that was 2017. Dan Mullen was still there. Yeah. Your favorite guy. That was a pretty dominant win. Yeah, it was. Old Dan Mullen. How do you feel about Dan Mullen on TV? I didn't really watch any of him. I don't really watch the yeah. pregame, postgame, halftime stuff, but I saw a, a second or two of them. The one shot I saw of him was like he was sitting down in a chair. It had the big Georgia G on the screen behind him, and I was just like, God, I love it. God, I love it. But old Dan Mullen. Yeah, that was a that was a good one. Try. I wasn't thinking about that. With Mississippi State, that was a dominant win. You know, it's hard to feel bad for him. He's still getting those payout checks. So. Oh, yeah, he will be for a while. Yeah. yeah he's, he's doing fine. Florida 2017 was that 42-7 game where we just like we like exercised some demons in that game. Can't remember. You can't remember that game. We just beat the hell out of Florida a lot lately, okay. so that kind of yeah. happens. Uh, Tennessee, you got to remember the Tennessee shutout, 41 nothing in Knoxville. I know you were there. Don't remember. You don't remember shutting Tennessee out 41 to nothing. No. You you don't remember that. I have a bad memory. They. All I guess you didn't grow together. up going to some of those games in Knoxville and and watching us get no, but they all started to bleed together. There have been, that's, I guess that's the point. There's been a lot of dominant wins. You're right. Yeah. Uh, Georgia Tech, 2019, was that 52-7? I think we had like over... I mean, isn't that always dominant? Yeah, I mean, that's... Yeah. Yes. Except for like one or that, two that, That's just kind of... Yeah, that's history. the rule. That's the rule with Kirby Smart and Georgia Tech since 2016. But I think we had like over 500 yards of offense. They barely had 100 yards of offense in that game. It was 52-7. Could have been about 80-7. to 7 if, 80 to nothing probably if we really wanted to make it that. So there's been some dominant wins. But Charlie, you know what? Call me a prisoner of the moment if you want. I probably am. That's fine. I think so. And I'm, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say this is the most dominant win of the Kirby Smart era. It's, I guess, by point total, we've beaten teams worse than by 46 points. But if you consider the circumstances of the game and the fact this was the number 11 team in the country, at least coming into the game, now is Oregon really the number 11 team in the country? Like, are they actually the 11th best team in the country? I mean, probably not. I don't think so. But that stage, that moment, week one, and you come out and you play like that, and also having to answer all these questions. You know, people kind of universally saw us as like a top three team, but you know, definitely behind Alabama and Ohio State. And to come out and perform the way that we were able to week one there in Atlanta on a big stage, I think, yeah, I think we can call that, I mean, arguably, you can call that the most dominant win in the Kirby Smart era. All right, well, last week, Georgia entered week one almost universally thought of as the third best team in the country, and we saw this in the preseason AP and coaches poll. Uh, Eric wants to know, should Georgia leapfrog Alabama and Ohio State in the rankings after dominating Oregon like they did on Saturday? I'll give you a short answer. Give me a short answer. Yes, until proven otherwise. Absolutely, Because we were expected to be... Not take a step back, but not as strong on defense. And offense was projected to be better Good, with Stetson. But not like that. Right, with Stetson having more reps with the ones in the offseason. So, yeah, I think we should leapfrog Bama and Ohio State. So, you're not one of these people that thinks you should should be beholden to your preseason takes. Until, like, a team is number one shouldn't be jumped until they lose a game. Because a lot of people who feel that way. Yeah, no. No, that's Alabama's crazy. Alabama's not going to lose. crazy It's talk. probably a three-way tie, to be honest. Three-way tie, like who's the best team? Yeah, like, I mean, Do we know right now is the right. question? Like, do we really know? No. We don't but know. But based off of Saturday's performance? Exactly. I mean, yeah. I, I think you're right, Charlie. Uh, that's very well said. I am in total agreement with you. Because I it's kind of what I was getting at. I, I think if you look at this season independently of other seasons and just simply factor in 
what has happened in 2022. Isolate week one's results because that's all we have to work off of right now. Yes, that's a very small sample size. There's a lot of football left to be played. We might end up not being the best team in the country, but if you are basing off what we've seen to this point in this season, I don't know how you can actually argue with the fact that Georgia, well, it's not a fact, with the opinion that Georgia should be ranked number one. Again, I'm not saying that hands down, we're going to win the national title. We're the best team in the country. I need to see more. But if you're basing it off of 2022 and what we've seen from both all Georgia, Ohio State, and Alabama, we clearly had the best performance of those three in week one. And one of those three has got to be number one. Ohio State, I mean, yeah, they were in control of their game against Notre Dame, but that wasn't a dominant performance, and that was at home. And Notre Dame might end up being better than Oregon. Uh, sure, probably, but that much better? I mean, Ohio State was 21-10 in that game. I mean, C.J. Stroud and that vaunted Ohio State offense, I mean, they were very pedestrian for most of that game. Stroud averaged 6.6 .6 yards per attempt, 223 yards total passing. And, and yes, the Ohio State defense did look better. I'll give them some credit there. They looked a lot better. But I'm not sure how good that Notre Dame defense, that Notre Dame offense is right now with Tyler Buckner at quarterback. I don't know. They got some issues there. And, yeah, sure, Bama beat up on, on Utah State. But what does that tell us? So, again, based off this one week's results, I think we should be ranked number one. That doesn't mean it has to last. As we get more evidence and we get more data, then you can adjust things. But based off what we know in this season, which is what these rankings are supposed to tell us, it's not sp supposed to be about what did you think before this season. It's supposed to be what have these teams done? What have you seen from these teams right now in this season? And if you take that perspective, if you take that approach, then yes, we should be ranked number one. And last thing here, I think a really good way to put this into perspective is for me to just pose this rhetorical question for all you guys out there. Let's just take Alabama, who is number one and who is almost certainly going to be number one when the AP rankings come out on Tuesday. If Alabama was the defending national champion who returned their starting quarterback, their leader in receptions and receiving yards, and multiple future first-round draft picks on defense— and then they went into week one and beat the number 11 team 49-3. to Is there a single AP voter in the country that would not have Alabama unequivocally as their number one team in the country? I know it's Alabama, and they get the benefit of the doubt, but the standard should be the standard when it comes to rankings. And rankings really don't matter at this point. I understand these are just AP rankings. They don't factor into the CFP. I get all that. And I'm not trying to play the disrespect card here. I'm really not. I think that's overplayed. But I just find it hilarious how strongly most of these AP voters cling to their preconceived notions coming into the season and refuse to react to the data points and the reality of the new season. Is that economical enough for you, Charlie? Absolutely. All right. Now, obviously, the dogs looked great on Saturday, and the expectations are now, as a result, sky high. But Dustin wants to pump the brakes a little bit, and he asks, Do, did we really look that good, or is Oregon just that bad? And Ben wants to know if Oregon's just going to get rid of their football program forever. Let me ask you, before I get into my answer, I'm going to take Ben's question there. Will Oregon get rid of their football program forever after Saturday? How, like, do you feel bad for Oregon? Yeah, kind of. Like, who do you feel bad for? The players, Dan Lanning, the fans? Like, who do you feel worse for? I feel bad. Is this a it's bad for all of them? All of them. But like, who who do you feel the worst for? Dan Lanning. Dan's a good guy. Yeah. Did some great things. But he for also us. has Bo Nix. 
I mean, Bo Nix is what Bo Nix is, man. Like, it's just I saw on Twitter, somebody was, it was like an Auburn fan. He was like, well, yes, Oregon, we see you have your receipt, but it's a no return policy after 30 days. You keep him. No, we don't want that guy. And and, and this is coming from a team that has TJ Finley as a starting quarterback. They they still don't want Bo Nix. Correct. It's tough. Um, I feel bad for the fans, Charlie. Oregon, you know, considering they had to travel all the way across the country, like literally all the way across the country, had a nice contingent you know it was obviously very georgia partial with a lot of red and black overwhelmingly red and black but there were some some spots of green there like how would you feel if you were an oregon fan traveling from the great pacific northwest all the way down here to atlanta the city you hate so much i mean they lost and that sucks but to come all the way to atlanta ugh, yeah if you're gonna it. lose yeah you hate atlanta i would not if i didn't live close i wouldn't go to the games in atlanta yeah I mean, Atlanta's not, I mean, downtown Atlanta's not great. I mean, Buckhead, there's some areas around Atlanta that, I mean, if you want to call that Atlanta, nicer. But downtown Atlanta, yeah, it's not, it's not my favorite place, to be sure. There's just not a ton around the stadium, it's my thing. Like, there are, you go to these different cities with these great, like, Indianapolis, for example, had a lot of stuff around the stadium. No, Atlanta doesn't have them. That's always been my problem with Atlanta. But, uh, yeah, I feel bad for their fans. I mean, we've, we've, I've made long road trips to watch this. It's like Colorado comes to mind, but we didn't lose like that, you know, and Boulder, you know, it's still a great town. Atlanta, hmm, you know, I don't hate it as much as you do, but I can take it or leave it. But, yeah, I feel bad for them. But let's get to that question that Dustin had. Do we really look this good? Or is Oregon just that bad? Charlie, is it a cop-out if I say it's a combination of both? Yeah. Can no, I say that? You can say that. I, can, I mean, I, I do. I think it's a combination of both. I, I do think that we are really, really good. I think we're one of the top three teams in the country. I told you guys coming into the season, I felt that we were one of three teams that could win the national title this year, realistically. And... Saturday's performance only reaffirmed that. In fact, I feel better about this team after Saturday. Now, does that mean, again, can we just like close down the season, say give Georgia the national title? No, I'm not ready to say that. There's some things that we've got to improve. I need to see a team actually challenge us in the run game a little bit. But we are obviously a very good football team. We're one of the two or three most talented teams in the entire country, and we are certainly a, a contender for the national title. But I also don't think Oregon is bad. And I know it's hard to say that when we just beat them 49-3. to I mean, Charlie, that was... An annihilation, a beatdown, a destruction, domination, demolition, like whatever you want to say, that's what it was. But I think this Oregon team's going to recover. I think they're going to end up being, I mean, guys, let's not forget, they play in the Pac-12. The Pac-12 is not a great conference. It's okay. I mean, Utah is going to be, they're a good team. They should have beaten Florida. They didn't get Florida credit, but Utah should have won that game. USC, I think it's going to be a good team, but I think that Oregon's a 9-3, and 8-4 and four caliber team this year. If you can factor in who they play and, and the fact they play in the Pac-12. They do have a, a non-con game at home against BYU, which might be kind of interesting. But really, the reality of this situation for me is I was looking at the circumstances surrounding this game the wrong way. I told you guys, I knew that we had better players. Like, intellectually, we, I kept telling you, we shouldn't lose this game. We have far better players. They're good. I felt they kind of met the minimum threshold of talent to potentially upset us if we did not play well. But if we played well, I mean, I, I did say, you know, I, I predicted us to, to not cover the spread. I, I have to own that. But I did say if, if we played our A game that there's no way we're going to lose the game. I just didn't know if we were going to be ready to do that week one with all those new faces, especially on defense. I was wrong. We were ready to play that game week one, and Oregon just simply could not match that. But the way I looked at it is I, I was kind of fearful. I looked at the newness and the unknown around Oregon in kind of a fearful way. It's the, the Larry Munson in me, as, as I've documented many times on this podcast, and I felt that could potentially work against us. But I was dead wrong. It actually ended up working in our favor, which is another way to look at it the entire time. But, you know, with the way that the Munson is deep, so deeply ingrained in me, 
Uh, that's not how I looked at it. But yeah, it ended up working in our favor. We saw that Kenny Dillingham clearly was calling offensive plays for the very first time in his career. And I felt he got too cute offensively. He was trying to attack the perimeter against a team with great team speed instead of attacking us you know, up the middle, which is where I felt. And maybe we're not vulnerable there, but if there's a spot to try, it's between the tackles because we have a lot of new faces on the defensive line. We have entirely new guys at inside linebacker. They just didn't really try that with any sort of consistency. And their culture clearly is not established yet. But we caught Oregon at the right time. If we played Oregon in week 10, we would still beat them. I think we still beat them convincingly. Would we beat them 49 to 3? Probably not. Once they have things a little bit more established, they have more of an identity. They've kind of worked out some of those kinks. They've got a lot of new players, a lot of new coaches. And, and getting them week one is probably the way I should have looked at it, but clearly I did not, was that we simply had more continuity, whether it's the coaching staff, the players, quarterback. And we were able to take it right to them playing. I don't know. If that, I don't know if that was our A game. That's the scary thing. If, even if it wasn't our A game, like being able to beat a team like that, forty nine to three. But I think Oregon is is going to recover, and I think they'll end up being um, a solid, good nine to nine and three to eight and four kind of team. So yeah, I think it's a combination of both. I think that we are really, really good, and again, I think we should be ranked number one in the country right now. But Oregon just wasn't ready. They just weren't ready for this game right now. Too much, too soon for Oregon. All right, well, you've been talking about the potential of the Georgia offense since basically right after the national championship in January. So Zach agrees with you, and he says that this might be an overreaction to game one, but he does think that this is the best offense in UGA history. What do you think? Well, yeah. I think that Stetson has the opportunity to be the best quarterback in UGA history. In what way, statistically? Yeah. In this season? Yeah. If he plays like he played on Saturday? Well, 100%. And if, he has... If this becomes the norm, yes. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, Charlie, if this becomes the norm, is Stetson been a Heisman Trophy contender? Like, legitimately? I mean, yes. Legitimately. But I, I don't know that he'll end up on the ballot. Well, there's... there's No matter what this man does... Right. There's always going to be that level of hate and, like, skepticism when it comes to him. Like, exactly. It's... Like, the, the Stetson haters, they just invent ways... To hate him. And honestly, I, I respect it because, like, he, that's commitment, man. Like, people are just committed to it. And I'll give Curtis some credit. He was a Stetson hater. He was the leader of the Stetson Bennett Hate Club. But um, he's kind of even pulled off that. But, Charlie, I, I think the answer is yes. And I'm not going to go too in-depth in with this question because Ch- Curtis and I talked about it on the on the recap episode. But just to give you some numbers here. So, in the modern era of Georgia football, I think the best offense that we have had, at least statistically, was the 2012 offense with Aaron Murray and Todd Gurley, Keith Marshall, all those guys, Chris Conley, uh, Michael Bennett, all those dudes, right? Well, Charlie, that offense averaged 467 yards a game, 7.09 yards per play. Those are really, really good numbers, especially for Georgia offenses. Well, Charlie, the thing is, last year, this is what I kept trying to tell people. No one wanted to listen to me all offseason. Well, a lot of people didn't want to listen to me. I don't want to say no one. But, Charlie, we weren't that far off those numbers last year. I know the total yards numbers, we weren't there because we didn't run as many plays. But we averaged almost seven yards per play last year, 6.98 yards per play. We were essentially like a tenth of a yard per play from that 2012 offense last year. And all you had to do was look at what we had coming back offensively this year and say, oh, yeah, I think we can take at least a decent step forward this year, especially with Stetson coming back as a full-time starter, all the reps in the offseason as the number one guy. It was very reasonable to say, oh, well, if we averaged 6.98 yards per play last year with all the injuries that we had to deal with throughout the entire season last year, it's certainly reasonable to expect us to go over seven yards per play this year. And lo and behold, what did we see Saturday but a gaudy 9.21 yards per play. Charlie, that's efficiency, that's explosiveness, and we did it all throughout the game. Now, yes, very small sample size. Will we average 9.21 yards per play for the entire season? 
No, that is not going to happen. We're going to come down to earth to some degree, but we are going to average over seven yards per play, Charlie. And I 100%, we, we ran with some tempo more, not, not you know, old school Gus Malzahn, Auburn level tempo. We didn't do that, but we ran with more tempo than we're accustomed to. We ran over 60 plays, which is not something that we did very often last year. So if we can kind of keep that kind of the foot on the gas pedal there, and, and that's another thing. I think you have a question about this later on, but Kirby kept the foot on the gas at least through the third quarter, into the fourth quarter, which last year, Charlie, you know, especially against like a guy like Sam Pittman, like when we got a, a sizable lead early in the third quarter, he just pulled the, he, he pulled the starters, right? Take the foot off the gas and just try to get out of there with a win. We didn't see that on Saturday. It was very interesting. I think Kirby was trying to make a point with this offense. And he said that he basically said as much. He didn't say it directly, but he was alluding to it in his postgame press conference. He knows, just like you and I know, we talked about this all offseason, the narrative surrounding this Georgia offense. Everyone wants to always ask, why are we having so many issues recruiting top-level wide receivers? Because of negative recruiting guys. Because our offense has not put up those kind of numbers. Our players have not put up those kind of numbers. Kirby knows that. And to change that, we have to change what we do offensively. We have to start putting up numbers. We have to start putting up sideways numbers against teams. We've got to start featuring guys. And we got to start dispersing the ball, run with some tempo, be more creative on offense, be more quote-unquote wide open, whatever that means. That's a phrase people like to use because that's what is attractive to these top offensive skill players. Quarterbacks as well, right? And Kirby basically, I think he's almost direct. I I don't have the quote right here in front of me, but essentially said, why would you not want to play in this offense after the game? He said that. And I think he was clearly trying to send a message week one with all these eyes on us, playing a a fringe top 10 team, and uh, we showed out. But yeah, I think this offense... To come back to Zach's question, I'm with you, Zach. I'm totally in agreement that this offense will ultimately end up being the best offense in Georgia history, at least from a statistical standpoint. All right. Well, the young and inexperienced Georgia defense only gave up three points and 313 yards of total offense on Saturday, but all college football wants to know, as dominant as the performance was on Saturday, what's your biggest concern for the defense moving forward this year? Stopping the run. I do not think that Oregon really challenged us consistently with their run game. But even saying that, they still when they ran the ball, they had too much success for my liking. Now, it's all relative. But if we're talking about the standard that we have set for Georgia defenses, it was not good enough. We gave 140 yards rushing and 4.5 yards per rush. Again, you look at those numbers, you're like, oh, that's not bad. Well, yeah, it's not bad, but that's not the standard for Georgia. Dominant run defense is the standard for Georgia defenses. And that's not what we were against Oregon. I'm going to take you back to last year, guys. And I know this team last year, this defense last year was historical. And no one expects our defense to be that good last year. But just to give you some perspective here. Last season, 15 games we played, we gave up exactly one game of 140-plus yards rushing. One time last year. One time. That was Florida, who had a dual-threat quarterback, Anthony Richardson. You guys probably watched him play against Utah. That dude can run. He had a 75-yarder against Utah. And even with a guy like that, only one game did we give up more than 140 yards rushing last year. In fact, the most yards per rush that we allowed in a single game last year was 4.4 yards per rush. And that was against Alabama in the SEC Championship game. We've already given up more than that in week one. And I know that we won convincingly 49-3, to so no one wants to look at anything that, that we need to work on and improve on. We won't be critical of this team. How can you criticize them after a 46-point victory? Well, I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just trying to be objective here and say, hey, there are things that we still need to work on. And I think the run defense is my biggest concern. I love what we have in the secondary. Keely Ringo is a guy that has the chance to be a 
I, I hate to use the phrase shutdown corners. I don't think they exist anymore with how the rules have been changed. I don't think you're allowed to be a shutdown corner anymore, but I think Keeley is as good as there is in the country. I love what I saw from Kamari Laster. Heck, I'm open to the idea that Kamari Lasher might ultimately end up being a better cover guy than Keeley. He doesn't have the physical tools Keeley has, but that dude can cover. Chris Smith, I mean, that dude just knows where to be. The pick, man, that was an incredible play there. And the Malachi Starks, which I know we have a question about him a little bit later on, so I don't want to go too crazy with him right now. But with his emergence and his athleticism and what that guy can do for us in the back end, he's only going to get better. I love what we have in the secondary. My concern, this is very abnormal for a Georgia defense, is the front seven. We love Jalen Carter. We know how good Jalen Carter is, but who are those other guys? Zion Lowe didn't play a lot at all, guys. He, I don't even think he got 20 snaps. Nazir Stackhouse actually ended up playing more. He's a good player, but is he a dominant run defender like Jordan Davis? No, he's not. I really like the talent inside linebacker, but those guys, at this point, they are not N'Kobe Dean. They are not Quay Walker. They are not Channing Tindall. Maybe they can get there, but they're not there right now, so I have some concern there, and the foundation of our defense has been built over the past couple of years on stopping the run with even numbers in the box. And if we cannot do that, I have concerns. And we're going to play teams that will challenge us more in the run game, whether it's Florida, whether it's Kentucky down the road. There will be teams that will try to run the football on us, and they'll try to do it in a power physical way. Heck, South Carolina might try to do that in two weeks, and I need to see us answer the bell when a team actually tries to challenge us with a physical power run game. But Charlie, before we move on, obviously college football is back in full force. But you know what that also means, Charlie, when college football returns, winning season, it also has returned. And with all these games being played, I mean, it was a cornucopia of college football action over the weekend. That means opportunities to win some money at my bookie. Charlie, how was your betting weekend? Did you win any money? I won a little money. A little bit here and there. Yeah, I, uh, I didn't have the best weekend I've ever had, but... I, I, hey, I came out ahead, right? So profit, I'll take any profit, and my bookie is the one that I go to to make that cash. And right now, guys, they are offering an incredible promo deal for you guys through the entire month of September. For Glory UJ listeners, all you have to do is use the promo code UGA on your first deposit, and you will instantly double your money with my bookie. So you can bet on whatever it is you want to bet on, whether it's win totals, whether it's predicting the national championship winner, whether it's props, whether it's individual games, contests, whether it's parlays. You guys know I love a good parlay, which, hey, our parlay of destiny, it actually hit this week. So whatever it is you like to do, my bookie is the place to go. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. 
Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right. Well, we had a couple of listeners ask about the lack of pressure on Bo Nix on Saturday as we were unable to record even a single sack against Oregon. So the first question is from Christopher, and he wants to know, to know what Georgia's defense has to do to generate more sacks. He feels like we're going to have to get after the quarterback to have more success this season. And Austin would like to know your thoughts on what seemed to be a lack of a pass rush. And these are fair questions. I, I do understand where, you, where both uh, Austin and Christopher are coming from. But I'm going to go back to what we were talking about earlier, how we don't want to overreact to Georgia's dominant performance and say, wow, we're going to win the national title now, like it's a done deal in the season. Well, I think on the flip side, you can also say, let's not overreact to some of the things that weren't as positive. Because, Charlie, you're fond of saying this. Say it along with me. You're never as good as you are on your best day. You're never as bad as you are on your worst day. There you go. That's your saying. You're just saying yeah. like a... Well- it's confusing when we're trying to speak at the same time. That's true. That's true. Good call. Good call. This is why you're here, Troy. Thank you for that. Quality control stuff. But, yes, it's fair to say. I mean, it is, it's fact. We did not record a sack. It's not fair to say. It's 100% fact. We did not record a sack. But there's context to that. Number one, look at how we've defended Bo Nix his entire career. This is the fourth time we played Bo Nix. This is how we defend this guy. I'm not saying that we've never sacked him. Obviously, Trayvon Walker, what was that, 2019, closed out that game with a sack. But traditionally, how we defended Bo Nix is with more or less a, a mush rush, if, if you want to go there and call it that, where we're it's a controlled, slower pass rush designed to keep him in the pocket because that's where Bo Nix starts to hurt you. Is when he escapes the pocket, it makes plays with his legs. Bo Nix... It is very well documented at this point. It's, if you've ever watched this guy play, which I know you have, he cannot beat you sitting back there in the pocket trying to throw passes. He cannot beat you from the pocket. That's not his game. For some reason, all these offensive coordinators that have worked with Bo Nix try to make him a pocket passer. That's crazy. That's not what he is. You need to use his legs more consistently. And Bo gets a lot of crap, and I've given him a lot of that myself, a lot of grief, because he's not good. But I also think he's been like woefully misused his entire college career. That's a dude that should be used more like Anthony Richardson. He's not as big as Anthony Richardson. That's how you should use him. Anthony Richardson's not a pocket passer. He's not going to sit there and beat you from the pocket. Neither is Bo Nix. But that's a big part. We want to keep him in the pocket and make him that. That's what you try to do defensively. You try to make the offense play left-handed. When you're facing Bo Nix, how do you make him play left-handed? You make him sit in the pocket. You do not let him create an escape. Because when he does that, that's when things get crazy. And so that's a huge part of it. The other part of this on Saturday in this isolated game was just the way that Oregon went about structuring their game plan. They were getting the ball in his hands very, very quickly. A lot of screens, a lot of quick passes. They were trying to get the ball to guys on the perimeter. I think a lot of that was respect for what we do defensively and how we were able to pressure the quarterback last year. I mean, obviously, Lanning, is, I mean, he was here for that last year. He understood. He probably, I'm sure, sat down with the offensive staff and Kenny Dillingham and talked about that. But I think... It's a combination of both those things. They got the ball in their hands quickly, did not give us enough time to actually get to the passer. We were able to, to pressure him at times and affect the quarterback, which I know everyone, everyone wants to see the sack numbers because, hey, those are great too. Negative plays, awesome. But really, it's just about affecting the quarterback. And I thought we did a good enough job with that. But yeah, when, when you're playing Bo Nix, you got to keep him in the pocket. You do that with a slow, controlled pass rush and kind of just circle him there and keep him in that pocket. And when they're getting the ball out of his hands that quickly, you're just not going to put up the sack numbers. I'm with you guys. I would like to see more pressure on the quarterback, but I think 
this is not the game to look at and draw like definitive conclusions about what our pass rush is going to be like the rest of the season. Now, I, I think it's fair to question that because we don't have the guys inside linebacker that we had last year. I mean, we, we were our pressure packages were seventy plus percent inside linebackers last year, and we don't have those guys this year. I think Smile Monning can be a good pass rusher, but like Pop can do it. But he's not N'Kobe Dean. He's not Shane Tindall. He's not Quay Walker. He's not those kind of guys rushing the passer. So I'm curious where we are going to generate the pass rush from, but I'm not going to lose my mind over the fact that we had zero sacks since Oregon because I think it was a function of play calling and also the fact that we were playing Bo Nix. All right. Well, we know that there were a ton of highlights for the dogs on Saturday. And the highlight of the highlight. The highlight of the highlights. I like it. The highlight of the highlights had to be the incredible one-handed interception by true freshman Malachi Starks in the first half. With that in mind, Russell says that Malachi Starks was playing like a veteran five-star and not the freshman that he is, and it was great to watch. Do you remember any other defensive backs having a better career start than Malachi Starks? I mean, as a true freshman... I mean, DeAndre Baker didn't play as a true freshman. Keeley didn't play as a true freshman. I mean, I guess you go back to Champ, but I was so young. I don't remember. I don't really remember Champ's like true freshman year. True freshman? No, I don't. I honestly don't. I mean, he played a ton. I mean, this guy played seventy-six percent of our defensive snaps. Guys, I don't know if you realize this. He played more snaps than any other DB on our team. It was Malachi Starks, a true freshman. Even Keely Ringo played sixty-eight percent of our snaps. Starks played 76%. He did not start, but he played the vast majority of that game. And the thing about Malachi Starks is, guys, I mean, we all know this. It's only up from here. He was that good in week one, making that highlight play. The athleticism is clearly on full display. Now, saying that, he was really good. Was he a, a playing like a veteran? I don't know. There are there plenty of plays going back in, on the rewatch here. That he was out of position. He was... You know, other guys out there that were trying to point him to where he was supposed to be, and he looked kind of lost, and we were just fortunate they weren't able to take advantage of that. But again, he was that good this early, week one. I mean, Curtis says he thinks he's going to start by the South Carolina game, and the more I think about it, I think that's probably true. Again, if you look at the, the snap numbers, he played 76% of our snaps, more than any other DB. So you know what? He might be starting this week, Charlie. He might be starting at Sanford. I don't know. I know we love Dan Jackson, and that guy's probably earned the right to start just by what he's done for this team and the leader he's been. But, I mean, honestly, who starts is almost irrelevant because Malachi starts going to play 75-plus percent of the snaps to safety. Okay. Well, let's stay with the defensive theme for now. Garrett said he noticed Javon Bullard was playing defense from the first snap. So what are your thoughts on that decision? You know, if you would have told me this about three weeks ago or coming into fall camp, I would have said, yeah, that surprised me because I felt that William Poole was going to be that guy. He was that guy through most of, of spring practice. But as fall camp progressed, and I was talking to a few people around the program and getting some some feedback, I kept hearing that Bullard was the guy making the move at star. And I, I know a lot of people think it was maybe it could be Tyke Smith. You know, he was the big guy, the transfer we got from West Virginia, who un, very unfortunately suffered two injuries last year, the last one being that ACL injury. And he's still fighting his way back. He's still not 100%. And the way that William Poole played down the stretch, especially in the national championship game, made some big plays in that game. There was a, there was a play late in the game uh, after we'd scored our go-ahead touchdown against Slade Bolden on third down that he read it perfectly, saw the end cut, made a fantastic play there. I love his length. But I keep hearing that Javon Bullard, I kept hearing through fall camp, this guy was the best cover guy maybe on the entire team. He doesn't have the size that, that we like out wide, but he's a guy that, that is tough, physical, can fit against the run, and is a really, really good cover guy, has great hips. 
So I wasn't shocked to see him go out there to start. I didn't know for sure it was going to happen, but I was getting a lot of positive feedback about him throughout fall camp. I was kind of surprised that he played as much as he did. I mean, he played 51% of the snaps. Uh, Tyke Smith played 29%. William Poole played 17%. I was honestly surprised that Poole didn't play more. I mean, Poole was basically just a garbage duty guy for the most part there. But Bullard's a great cover guy. He's tough. He's physical. He tackles well. The coaches really are really high on him. They want him on the field, and you could clearly see that on Saturday, over 50% of the snaps. All right, one more question for the defense. Charlie wants to know your thoughts on the front seven. He says it appear, or she, she appears that the inside linebackers were a little out of position early on, but then tightened things up later. Yeah. And also, if you've been paying attention today, Kirby says they need to Limit get rid the, of the get rid of the WTF the WTF place yeah yes. the WTFs Limit that's a, that's a that's a new Kirbyism well, is there, is there a coach out there that has more like catchphrases than Kirby Smart I mean I know he's learned a lot of this from Nick Saban and and Kirby like studies like motivational speakers like these are these are not things Kirby comes up with guys like these are things they take from other people like the pressure is a privilege thing I think that was actually Billy Jean King Charlie like originally like, Trevor Moad was this motivational guy they had at Alabama and we use him early here at Georgia but I think he actually in his books he got that from Billy Jean King so everyone says that's a Kirby thing it's not a Kirby thing Kirby just kind of adopts these things but yes uh, the WTF yeah there was some WTF stuff and Cur- Curtis talked about this a little bit on the recap episode about the inside linebackers being out of position and that's not untrue but a lot of that was a function of how Oregon was trying to attack us offensively they ran a ton of pick plays guys a ton of them that's how they were trying to get these guys in space with the ball at Bo Nix's hands really quickly we play a lot of man coverage which we traditionally do and we came out playing a lot of that early on we went to some more zone stuff later on like the pick that Chris Smith made in the second quarter that was out of, that was a zone look we were, we were showing man he dropped out of the clay. he dropped into like a quarters look and uh we were he was able to jump on the ball and and or drive on the ball make the pick and obviously one of the, one of the bigger plays in the game but when we were playing man coverage early on, I know exactly what you're talking about, especially Samal Monin a couple of times. We just had a tough time getting around those picks. And we've got to do a better job of recognizing that. And that's one of the things I was talking about coming into the game. One of my concerns was, well, okay, this is an offense with a play caller who's never called plays before and a defense with a lot of inexperience at key spots, especially inside linebacker. And our, there's a good chance our linebackers are going to have to adjust on the fly to what Oregon is doing because we don't have what – there's no tape on what Kenny Dillingham does as an offensive coordinator. So that was mildly concerning for me, especially with the, the youth and experience that we had inside linebacker. And I think that was part of this. They just – they've done it in practice, but you haven't seen exactly how Oregon was going to dial up those pick plays. You haven't seen – like in a game setting, all right, in this context, in this situation, how am I going to get around this play – around this pick in this moment or how am I going to pass that off so yes they were technically out of position but it wasn't so much that they didn't know what to do it was just like mental bust and there were some of those and some of the run plays some guys not hitting their run fits but I think what people are really like Curtis I know what he was talking about was more or less those guys being out of position in the past game where guys were kind of like out there in the perimeter wide open and those goes of pick plays again that's not necessarily that they don't know what to do it's just a matter of execution that was poor execution we've got to do a better job of getting off those picks getting around them and staying in position to uh, to defend those quick passes all right well let's move back over to the offensive side of the ball Kevin wants to know what are your thoughts on the tighter wide receiver and tight end rotations and do you expect it to stay that way moving forward I don't see why it would change because Charlie, the thing is, we don't have a, we have a ton of depth in tight in the tight end room. 
the wide receiver room, we don't have a ton of depth, like a ton of quality depth of guys that are ready to go out and make an impact. I mean, Arian Smith going down, like that hurts your depth. You got Jermaine Burton leaving, that hurts your depth. But if you look at the numbers, the snap totals here, so A.D. Mitchell played 56% of our offensive snaps. Lad McConkie played 55%. Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint played 38%. Kieras played 23 And Jackson Meeks played 22 So that's five guys that were above 22% of our offensive snaps. No one else at the receiver position was above 20. Now, here's the thing. This might be surprising some of you. We only had five guys last season at wide receiver that played above 20% of our snaps for the entire year. But here's the difference. There was no, not one single wide receiver on the team that broke the 50% mark. Not one receiver played more than 50% of our snaps all season long. We had two guys, AD and Lab, that broke that barrier in week one. And I do not think that's going to change. And that's what I'm talking about. You can't only play two guys. And what Curtis and I talk about when we say that we rotate too many guys at wide receiver, we're not saying only play three guys. We're saying play five to six guys, but your two to three best players need to play far more than the other three. And that's what we haven't been doing in years past. I loved what I saw in this game with AD and Ladd, who are clearly our two best receivers, both played over 50% of our snaps. And if this was a closer game that was competitive into and through the fourth quarter, those guys probably would have played upwards near 70% of our offensive snaps. And that's what needs to happen. Our best players need to be on the field more consistently. That doesn't mean they're the only guys that need to play. You got to rotate guys in and out. And you got to, and that also helps for recruiting. You want to recruit guys and say, hey, you know, there's a chance for you to play. That's fine. I don't mind other guys playing. I just think we need to have our best players on the field more consistently. And that's what we saw this past weekend. And I don't expect that to change because why would it? We had so much success this week. Why would you change that? And again, where is the depth? Who are those guys that are going to eat into those snaps? I simply do not see them right now. In a related question, Darren wants to specifically know, what do you make of the tight end rotation and deployment? Yeah, this, is, this was kind of interesting to me, Charlie. I, I thought that we would see more of a Reed Gilbert and a little bit more of Oscar Dub. We did not. You talk about lack of rotation. I mean, Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington combined for 72 offensive snaps. Well, Rick Gilbert and Oscar Dub only combined for 25 together. So we clearly have a top two who have separated themselves at that position with Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington. And I think as the season progresses, you will see more of Gilbert and Delp, but we just didn't run a lot of 13 personnel. We ran a ton of 12 personnel, but not a lot of three tight end sets. So I don't want to overreact to this one game. I think it was more of a game plan specific thing. I think as we get more in the season, especially a guy like Oscar Delp, as he gets more familiar with the system and he gets more comfortable, let's not forget, he's a true freshman. And the same thing with Arik Gilbert. I know there's high expectations and I had high expectations for Arik, but we have to kind of also remind ourselves, this guy did not play football at all last year. He did nothing football related for an entire year, actually more than an entire year. He didn't do spring practice last year. He had a couple of days of practice in fall camp, and then he had to lead the team because of some, some issues he had to deal with. And he came back for, for spring practice this year. So he, this is a guy that just hasn't played a lot of football in the past year and a half, two years. And let's not forget, he came into he came to campus this winter at about 300 pounds. So he's done a heck of a job just getting his body back in shape, and he's just got to work himself back into, into football shape, continue to do that. And look, he was behind both Darnell and Brock coming into this season, and those guys are only going to take a step forward this year. So 
I, I think maybe it was a little unrealistic to think that he was going to come in and be you know a guy that was like playing as much as as maybe John Fitzpatrick was last year because the one thing that Fitzpatrick could do that Arik cannot do right now or doesn't do consistently well is block you know Fitzpatrick was very very good in that role and Arik that's never really been his thing I mean heck when he came to Georgia when, when he transferred here from LSU he was basically saying I want to play wide receiver and then he leaves the team comes back in at around 300 pounds like well you can't be a wide receiver right now so blocking is even in high school was never this guy's thing Delp is a guy that can be a better blocker but he's not as big and strong as as Bowers is right now so Right now, those guys are both threats in the passing game and don't give you as much in the blocking game, which is fine. You can still utilize them, and we will. I promise you, we will as the season progresses. But this one game, it just wasn't a part of the game plan. And I think as both guys continue to grow more comfortable within this offense and the coaches get more trust in them, they will play more. But obviously, it just didn't happen here on Saturday against Oregon. All right, Charlie, before we move on, I know we have a couple more questions before we close things out. We also have to remind everybody about our good friends at Alumni Hall. Charlie, I know you made a trip there this past week. Did you find anything interesting? There's always something interesting at Alumni Hall. I got myself a new tennis skirt. Very nice. What color? Uh, black. Of gray. course it was black. Black gray. Like yeah. an anthracite kind yeah. of thing. How's your tennis game these days? Pretty good. Getting better? Uh, yeah. We got to get out there on the course, Charlie. I'll beat you. Yeah, you you will you will beat me. But Alumni Hall, fantastic place. You get yourself a nice tennis skirt. I just picked it myself up. Another nice. I, I tweeted this out, so if you didn't see it, I'm big into the vintage logos, Charlie. You know me. I, I try to find as many old school logos as I possibly can. I really do not like the new school bulldog. And there is no place on earth that has more vintage UGA gear than Alumni Hall. So they've always got me covered, and they'll have you guys covered as well. So stop in there. Still plenty of time to get your game day gear tailgate gear, home decor gear. Is that what you call that, Charlie? No, just call it home decor. Home decor. We just stop there. There's no gear. But whatever you need or Bulldog related, Alumni Hall is the place to go because that is where the Bulldogs shop. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. All right. I thought one of the more underrated stories of Saturday's game was the play uh, of the offensive line. Stetson Bennett looked as good as he ever has. He did. And the running backs played well. But the offensive line made it easier for all of the skill players to show off on Saturday. Carter wants to know, because it did seem like there were several different combinations of offensive linemen, yeah. how many different offensive linemen rotated in. Charlie, I'm going to give you some props for giving some props to the Big Uglies. I thought they played fantastic. You're exactly right. They're not getting enough love right now. I know it's it's easy to look at stats and say, yeah, career high in yards, awesome, and see what Lad McConkie was doing, what Kenny McIntosh was able to do. All that's fantastic. But none of that happens without the offensive line. And those guys played at an extraordinarily high level. And that's a good Oregon front seven. I think the Oregon front seven is the strength of that defense. And uh, they have two they have two dudes that are going to be playing in the NFL and probably first on draft picks here in the next year or two with obviously Noah Sewell and Justin Flo. But our offensive line was up for that challenge, man. And yeah, we played seven offensive linemen, 
played 44% of our offensive snaps or more, which uh, is interesting because usually we have five guys and those five guys just play. But it was Devin Willick at guard and Amarius Mims at tackle who were rotating in and out. And we did some different things. We we moved, when we brought Mims in, he played a little bit of, of right tackle. And we move Warren McClendon over to left tackle. Mims got a little bit of time at left tackle himself. Will played a little right guard, a little left guard. Actually, Xavier Truss was the guy that played more snaps than anybody on the offensive line, which I did not see coming into Saturday's game whatsoever. But I thought he played very, very well. He's a guy who's been around for a while. Has always been in the thick of a competition at guard, but can never quite lock it down. But it looks like he's locked that left guard spot down right now. And he played very well on Saturday against, again, a good Oregon front seven. So, yeah, Charlie's an interesting set up to see us rotate as many offensive linemen as we did, but I'm not surprised because I was kind of like what I was hearing about Javon Bullard. I was hearing more and more about Marius Mims throughout fall camp and that this was a guy that was going to play, not just play like garbage duty, but was going to actually get meaningful snaps as early as week one, and lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. He played more than 40% of the snaps, which I didn't see him playing that much. I thought he might get like, you know, 20-ish percent, but that dude played a lot. It looks like he's going to factor into our plans all season long. All right, next up, Trey has a very simple question, very to the point, my kind of question. I think he that wins. That is your kind of question. I think he wins question of the question week. Question of the week. Trey wants to know, who's our number two running back? Do we have one, Charlie? I don't know. I mean, so you would think it'd be Kendall Milton, but, but he, didn't co- he didn't come in second. No. It was, it was our guy from Colquitt County. So is that a situational thing? Is that, I don't know. I mean, Dejan Edwards, I, that, that was my, like, here's what I'm thinking, Charlie. I think Kendall Milton is probably the number two running back, but he was banged up for large portions of fall camp, right? Yes. Missed both of the fall of the of the fall scrimmages, and I, I know for a fact. I'm just telling you. Well, this is what I was told that Andrew Paul was making a move to like potentially be that number two guy with with Kendall going down for a couple of weeks, and our coaches were. Um, I mean, you never like to see any of your players go down with injury, but they were very frustrated and disheartened by Andrew Paul getting injured because that guy was making he was making a bit of a move and I was very anxious to see him in action so that that really sucks but he'll get back and he'll be good to go next year but I mean Dajan came in second behind Kenny but you're right Charlie is that a function of the fact that Dajan is a game plan thing where he's more of a of a threat as a pass catcher out of the backfield than, than Kendall is and that clearly is what we were trying to do early in the game so I don't know I, I think as the season progresses it's going to be Kendall Milton but Dajan's going to play. I told you guys all offseason, this guy is going to play, and it's not going to be garbage duty. He's going to play meaningful snaps for us. So I don't know. I think it's going to be a game plan specific thing. It could be Dajan one one week. It could be Kendall one week. But Charlie, I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but can we just sit here and say that there's zero question who the number one running back is? It's clearly Kenny McIntosh. 100%. It, 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 no contest. And I know he doesn't run. like I think Kenny can run between the tackles very well. But he's not the big physical guy, the guy that Kendall Milton is. And we didn't have to use him that way. But 117 yards receiving, nine catches out of the backfield. This is, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say I saw that coming. But Curtis and I told you guys, we thought he could be better than James Cook out of the backfield as a receiver. And I know that's that's high praise. James Cook's on an NFL team right now. And he was very, very, very good for us. But I've always felt like Kenny had that special skill set. I love what he does in a short area. He's got better speed than people want to give him credit for. He's not necessarily a burner, but he moves very, very well. He's got great hands. Just a very smooth, smooth athlete. So he is clearly the number one guy. And right now, everybody else is battling to be number two. All right. Well, we actually had at least two questions on the next topic. Kamari Lasseter was flagged for a personal foul in the second quarter after aggressively tackling... 
No, I, I like boos. how you phrase that. Aggressively tackling. Yeah, That's well, a good way to put it. There were loud boos throughout the stadium for about five minutes after that call, and it, and both Dalton and Jamie have questions about it. Dalton asked, what the hell was that personal foul on Kamari Lasseter? Well, I'm surprised you used that word. I didn't, well, think, you'd, I didn't reading, think you'd do it. I'm reading the question. You're like Ron Burgundy. Yeah. You read whatever's put in front of him. D- thanks. That's so kind of you. <laughs> well, that's, that's what you just said. Well, You're far more intelligent I'm, than Ron Burgundy. But okay. I'm just taking your own words at face value. Dalton says that looked like a te- textbook tackle when you have a guy when you're tackling from behind. Mm-hmm. Jamie wants to know your thoughts on quote the Charmin soft unnecessary roughness penalty on Laster. Tell me quote. how you feel, Jamie. Um, what were your thoughts on that, Charlie? I mean, it was how'd you phrase it? An aggressive tackle? It was an aggressive tackle. Well, you're not supposed to like what do they call it? You can't suplex people suplex, anymore. Suplex that yes. word. So you know, not you a got, wrestling fan growing up, got, Charlie. No, I was not allowed to watch wrestling. Um, Lame. Didn't want to either. Lame. Um, I mean, you have to err on the side of caution. Like it, like it looked more like a suplex than it didn't. It wasn't a full-on suplex. It was kind of like a side suplex, but it was in the suplex family. But if they're trying to keep people safe and there are rules, then you gotta. Oh, but by, by, by the letter of the you, law, that was you a gotta penalty. deal yeah. with a heavy hand. Yeah, and look, I'm I'm totally with all of you out there who had issues with this, and, and the what about sixty thousand Georgia fans screaming bloody murder in the stadium after that? I I was not one of the people booing. And I know you might think I'm a bad Georgia fan for not booing. I wasn't booing because I didn't think it was a bad call. I do not like that that is a penalty these days. When I grew up, Charlie, like in the film room, you get a standing ovation for that. But it's not 2001 anymore. That is against the rules. You cannot suplex people anymore. It's a safety thing. They're trying to clean up some of that stuff and take that out of the game. And I I do miss, to to some degree, I miss my old football that I grew up playing. But And I know, yeah, Charmin Soft, yeah, I, I I get where you're coming from. That I understand it. Like I I'm a defensive guy at heart, and I hate how they've legislated defensive football over the past ten years. I mean, you essentially just can't even play defense half the time. Like there's so much that they've taken out of the game defensively. Every rule favors offensive football. I was even, literally I was I forget which game I was watching. Maybe it was on Thursday night. Was it the West Virginia game? I think it was. I think it was West Virginia, West Virginia Pitt, and I think it was Pitt that stemmed their defensive line. At, right before the snap, like, and what I mean by that is they shifted, like we've done in the past. They shifted their defensive line right at the snap, and they drew an, a, a false start penalty. Well, they didn't call false start; they called offsides or they called delay of game on defense. In the past couple of years, what they've done is like you can't clap on defense anymore. Like the clap cannot be used as a defensive signal. In fact, not even as a defensive signal. If you're a defensive player and you're trying to clap like to get someone else's attention on on your team, that's a penalty now. That wasn't a penalty back when I played and when most of you played. And just like suplexing somebody wasn't a penalty when we played. It's a penalty now. So it sucks. I hate that that's a penalty. I hate what they've done to defense of football. But by the letter of the law, yeah, I mean, technically it's a penalty. It sucks, but that's the way the game's called these days. All right, and we have one final question of the day. This is a more fun question. It's a nice way to end the, qu- yeah. end the day. Uh, UGA fan forever wants to know what was your favorite game to watch of the weekend. What was your favorite game, Charlie? The ones that you could stay up for, at least. I really enjoyed the North Carolina game. It was an incredible game. And the NC State game. I was on my phone, like, like in between TV timeouts inside Mercedes Benz, which, and the Wi-Fi was better than Sanford Stadium, trying to watch the rest of that game, the North Carolina game, on my phone, and I was getting bits and pieces of it. I was watching it all the way leading up to going, actually walking into the stadium. That was a fantastic game. Were you able to stay up for the uh, Florida-Utah game? Did you watch any of that? No. 
None of that? I watched like What'd you do, come home and go straight to bed? I mean, we got home kind of late. Tell me you at least watched your boy Sam Pittman. Um, I did watch that Make you look like a fool, by the way. Yeah, I was watching that game. Okay. Instead of the Florida-Utah game. So you didn't watch any of the Florida-Utah game? Not really. It was a good game. It was a good game. Uh, Utah, I feel like kind of, I don't want to say blew the game. They didn't execute down the stretch. That was on them. But Florida, give them credit, they won. That was There was a lot of really good games, Troy. That was a really good game. Obviously, NC State was a really good game. North Carolina App State was a really good game. There were some great games on Friday. I thought that the Illinois-Indiana game was a really good game. All, both games on Thursday were awesome games. Penn State and Purdue and, and West Virginia and Pitt, the, the old backyard brawl back in action. Then we had LSU Florida State last night. It was an awesome week one of football. My favorite game to watch, I, I gotta say North Carolina. North Carolina App State, like I'll go back to what Matt Berry said. Again, it's just perfect. That game was drunk. Like it was out of control. App State scored 40 points in this in the fourth quarter, not the second half, the fourth quarter alone. And we're like inches. Did you at least see the highlights of them like inches away from scoring that two-point conversion mm-hmm. to tie the game? Yeah. Craziness. Just absolute insanity. Matt Brown, dear God. I don't I don't know what's going on in North Carolina on that defense. They actually have some pretty good players, but they cannot stop anybody. But yeah, I mean, that was a great game, but any of the games I mentioned, you can't really go wrong when they were all fantastic. But all right, Charlie, that's it. That's it for today. All right, guys. That's all we've got for you today. I will be back later this week, not with a preview of the Samford game, because none of you want to hear me talk about Samford. I don't even want to talk about Samford. So what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to have um, a, a different kind of episode for you guys. I'm going to have an episode where I am going to give you my week one SEC power ranking. So that's coming up later this week. And then Charlie will be back with me to wrap things up on Friday with our week two picks of the week. So it was an incredible weekend. I hope you guys enjoyed every single second of it. Georgia football is back. College football is back. And we've got it for the next three straight months. And God, that is music to my ears. So thanks for being here, guys. We appreciate you. For Charlie, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.